Well, hey, welcome to Auckland AV. So glad you could gather together today as we look at the foundation for us as a church that we call maturity. Before we get into it, though, I want to pray that God, through his word, would shape us today to be people who are made more like Jesus. So won't you join with me? Father God, as we look at your word today and we think through what this biblical purpose of maturity is about, we ask that by your spirit and through your word, you'd make us more like your son. You'd excite us with the picture of being made more like him. And we come away having heard you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most influential people on my life was a man by the name of Ron Wilson. He was a man that just oozed maturity. He would have been in his late 80s when I kind of came into contact with him and he'd lived through a lot. (laughs) But it wasn't just life wisdom that he had. Ron was this man that knew God. You could tell his face lit up when he'd speak about God. God wasn't some figment of his imagination. God was real. He, he knew God. He, he lived his life side by side with God. And that gave him a, a confidence about life, about himself that didn't come from himself, but allowed him to live life in a way that just made sense. He just had so much wisdom and always have a word and open up the Bible and understand what life was about. Have you ever met someone like that? Someone that's as solid as a rock, someone that just oozes wisdom and maturity Right? They're the type of person that you just want to be around. You just want to sit and listen to them speak. You recognize you need to be quiet when they're speaking because they've lived life and they've got this groundedness to them. They're the type of person that stirs in me a thirst to what they've got, to speak with the confidence they speak with, to be, to be grounded in the way that they're grounded, to not only know about God, but to actually know God. So my hunch is that we'd all love to be like that because often we feel quite the opposite. We feel uncertain and ungrounded, adrift in life. As you look at the world around us, so much of what's going on, we don't know and we can't control. And for some of us here today, the concept of knowing God is kind of a foreign concept to us. But the idea of being mature and grounded, to have some link to something beyond ourselves, well, it's it's attractive. Well, the claim of the Bible is that we can know God. In fact, it's one of the foundations of the Christian life, and it's a key purpose for us here at Auckland AV. How do we make sure that we know God, that we grow in our maturity to be more and more like Him? Well, the importance of growth and growing as a Christian is one of these key purposes of God for us. Like any good father, God wants His children to grow up to be mature. So Paul says in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, We proclaim him, Christ, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with all his strength that powerfully works in me. (laughs) See, Paul's purpose in all that he did with all his energy was to see those who'd put their lives in Jesus' hands mature, built up like Christ. I mean, imagine the craziness of a parent who wanted their 10-year-old child to go back to their toddler days, to, to act and look like a toddler. You know, toddlers, they're so cute. I love the toddler phase. I recently saw a toddler and was like, oh, I remember when our kids were that stage. You know, they're great moments of real joy. But imagine how absurd it would be if a 10-year-old went back to acting like a toddler, spoke in that toddler language and did all the dumb toddler things they do. How crazy would that be? Imagine a 20-year-old doing that. 
a 40-year-old, a 50-year-old, a 60-year-old. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't have to imagine. Sometimes we act like that and we act like toddlers and every part of us kind of wants to scream out, grow up. And that's just when we're thinking about ourselves. <laughs> well, it's no different when it comes to Christian maturity. The call of Jesus is to come as we are, but never stay as we are. His call is for us to grow into the likeness of, of him. See, the importance of growth is huge throughout the whole New Testament because the stakes are high. The dangers are real. In Ephesians 4.11, we read this. And Christ personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. That's why Jesus gave us one another. So we'd grow mature. But did you see why in verse 14? That we'll no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. <laughs> if you were to compare all the different forces of nature, the two that would come out on top as kind of powerful would, would have to be the wind and water. And when those two natural elements combine, catastrophe is usually the result. When we were on our way down to Queenstown for long service leg, we were on the Cook Strait Ferry and it got pretty rough. Not super rough, but pretty rough. Here we were on this massive ship full of cars and trucks and people like it was big. But the waves would just throw it round any which way. And we're up on the roof as it started to get a bit, bit windier and the wind started blowing. And we were thinking this is a bit of fun at this moment because we could jump in the air and we'd land a meter or two away from where we started. It was so strong, you'd have to lean forward to walk into it. Imagine what it's like when it gets really rough. Well, that's the image that Paul uses to explain what the immature Christian life is like. The immature Christian is tossed back and forth, flip-flopping on, on what matters, on, on how to live, on who we live for. I'm going to live for Jesus one day. I'm going to live for myself another day. And, and it goes backwards and forwards like a ship in, in the ocean. Maturity, says Paul in Ephesians, is knowing the truth, knowing God and sticking to him no matter how rough the weather gets. We need to be people that will not settle for half-hearted Christianity. Don't think that, you know, we've come to Jesus and we've embraced the truth about him and that's all. I can sit back now, you know, I've crossed the line. I've gone from hell into heaven. and I'm on the cruise ship called the Christian life. It's great. I can just drink it all in. I'll just drift wherever the cruise ship takes me. Now, the Apostle Paul has a deep concern for us if we think that way. That we not only come to trust Jesus, but that we be matured to be more like him, that we'd, we'd grow to be all that God intends for us to be like Jesus, that we'd, we'd deepen. And there's, there's the things that, that you and I ought to be restless for, that we'd be made more like Jesus day by day. Church ought to be a place that's full of people who are contented, but discontent. Contented in Jesus because he, he's died for us and he's paid the price for us and he's called us into a relationship with God but discontented in that we are not yet like him fully. We're people that are always looking to be growing more and more like Jesus, settled in him, but never settled in how much that we like him. <laughs> See, if we don't grow as Christians, we're going to end up like infants, like toddlers. And 
A person who acts like a toddler, that thinks like a toddler, uh, that speaks like a toddler is not going to last in life. If we don't mature, we're we're missing out. If we get tossed backwards and forwards by every wind of teaching and every wave, we're not going to be able to stand firm in the end. We're going to be the furthest person possible from that Ron Wilson character I described at the start of this talk. And what's worse, we're missing out on knowing God. At Auckland EV, we want as many people as possible to come to know Jesus. We also want to see everyone growing deeply in their love and knowledge of Him. We want to see every person more mature this year than they were last year. It's a continual process. It's one that doesn't end until the day we die or Jesus returns. Then we're made fully like Him. But between now and then, we need to be growing, maturing. Now that means our best days as Christians should always be in front of us. Sometimes we're tempted to believe, you know, that our most vivid times as Christian and most vivid times in our growth were those times were behind us. That, that time that I was really on fire for Jesus. We can think that they've already happened. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible is saying that God will continually make us more and more like Jesus. You might have been on fire those first few years you became a Christian or those years that you loved your youth group or the church that you were a part of. It might even be now that you're kind of beaming that you're like, whoa, I'm growing hugely. But any part of us that thinks that we've already peaked, that kind of says, oh, that were the glory years. I look back then, that's when I was really on fire. Now I've done my time. I've done my maturing. There's nothing more to grow in. We're missing out on knowing God. We're missing out on being more and more like Him. Now our best days as Christians are in front of us. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, Paul says this. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. If you trust in Jesus, Paul's saying you have God's Spirit in you, you have God the Spirit in you. And one of his roles is to mature you and me, to grow us, to be more like Jesus. We're being Transform from glory to glory, he says, or from one degree of glory to another, other translations say. What that means is when you look in the mirror, the show is not over. We have every reason to believe our best days are before us, no matter whether we're six or 36, 66, 96. But as we look forward, we can have great confidence. You know why? Because of what Paul says in Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Did you hear that? In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, conforming us to the the likeness of his son. See, maturity isn't merely just doing right things. It's being made more like the right one, Jesus. And the reason we can have confidence is that the God who's in control of everything is using everything to see you and me and those who trust him be more and more like Christ, to mature. Everything in your life, every moment, every situation, whether it's full of pain or pleasure, God is using that to make you more like his son. 
Sometimes we're tempted to treat life circumstances like, like a code we have to break, to work out what's the meaning of this situation, why are things going bad? And people say, I wish God would speak to me and be clear about what He wants me to do. And I try and work out how to live at this moment through the circumstances and situations of life. But Paul here is saying, do you know what those hard times and those good times are all about? They're all about making you and me more like Jesus. It has one thumping message throughout the whole Bible that God is phenomenally clear on. This is what he's saying. I want you to be made more and more like my son. I want you to be more and more mature, trusting me, uh, becoming like what Jesus is like, trusting his father, living in, in reliance on him in Christ likeness. Every moment that happens, every situation, everything that we endure God is working for our good to make us like his son. It's easy to think that life circumstances, the things that feel hard, that sometimes are horrific, horrific, they have no purpose at all. But that's not what Paul is saying here. It's God's plan that we've been in lockdown for over 100 days. It's God's plan for the ups and downs of life. It's God's plan for our good to mature us. So we'll be remaining in him to the end and becoming more and more like Jesus. You can have great confidence that God is working all things for your maturity and for your good if you trust him. But if you let him, if you actually let him grow you to be more and more like him. One of the things that I've come to recognize throughout my life has been that nearly Every lesson that I've learned that's been of real value has come mostly through suffering. Uh, the good times, I haven't really grown that much in, but through the hard times, the things that have been hard, God has called me to rely on Him more, to trust in Him more. And that's been for my good and for my maturity. See, the Christian life is not about killing time to Jesus returns. Sit back, be on a cruise ship, just enjoy life. No, it's looking forward with great confidence and commitment to grow to be more like Jesus, knowing we will be made like him when he returns and that we get to know him more and more as we do that. We don't know what suffering and hardship is coming, but we do know that God is using it to transform us from one degree of glory to another. And isn't that good? If we want to grow, we've got to let God grow us in his way and in his time. I'm so tempted at the moment to be like, ah, I hate the frustrations of lockdown. I hate the frustrations of COVID. And there's a real reality to the brokenness of that. But God has it here for a reason. We need to trust him that he'll mold us to be more like Jesus. But how do we do that? How do we get shaped into the likeness of, of, of Christ? Well, the Bible tells us that it's a team effort. Paul says that Jesus has given us one another as gifts to make us mature. In Ephesians 4, we saw that he said that it was God, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, Jesus has given us people, one another. The people we hear about are the prophets and the apostles who've, who've written down God's word for us. Those who were sent by God to tell us Jesus' word. 
He's given us evangelists, those who have taken this word out so that you and I could hear about Jesus now and we could trust him. And he's given us pastors and teachers, those who have explained this word to us and applied it to us and helped us to live out what it means to put Jesus at the center of our life. And this is not just the full-time paid pastor that, that God has in mind here in this passage. There are all sorts of people amongst us who are gifted evangelists. It's not just this full-time pastor is the evangelist. There's people that are sharing the news of Jesus with others. And there are others who are teaching one another and, and pastoring one another. If you think about it, all of our connect group leaders are people who are pastoring those in their connect group. We keep saying that your connect group leaders are your first pastoral point of contact. They're um, applying the word of God and thinking through how you might apply that and, and chatting with you and caring for you. That's why connect groups are so important for us as a church, because they're there as places we can see the word of God grow us as we teach and admonish one another. Our kids' church leaders, they're doing the same thing. They're gifts to our kids to help them to keep growing and to model how we might be doing that as, as parents and as people who are part of this community called Auckland EV. But what we see here is that the role of a pastor is to teach and equip God's people, to prepare God's people for works of service. Now, all throughout scripture, the one another language is used where we teach and encourage one another. I think one of the temptations we have as a church is to think about uh, what we do as more like a show, especially now it's on TV. Right? We can just sit back and watch what others are putting on. You know, there are things about our context that can be unhelpful like that or helpful. <laughs> Before Auckland EV started, Sarah and I, uh, in our first year of college, helped to plant another church in Australia. And as we started, we met in an aquatic centre, in a pool, and we met in the... In the um, in the classroom area that looked over a gym. <laughs> as you looked out the window behind uh, everyone where they were seated as, as you were preaching or leading the service, you looked into a gym where people are, are working out, pumping iron, right? There's something right about that. See, church is the place that we go to build one another up. And as we stuck here online, there's a sense where we don't get to do it fully. And that's frustrating. We've got to work out how we can keep being the gifts God has made us to one another to build one another up. God's given us these people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's kind of like personal trainers in Christian maturity so that we can be people who are being prepared for works of service. Now, I don't know if bodybuilding was a big sport in Paul's time. Definitely in the Greco-Roman world, that the kind of, they had the athletics and the Olympics that was going on. But surely this is the image that he's using here. Jesus' goal for the Christian is that we might be prepared for works of service so that the body of Christ, that the local church might be built up so that the church might grow and become mature. That's why this is a key purpose for us as a church. Now, Jesus isn't after a church where everyone looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, where his muscles are so big, they're as big as mountains. That's what he says in his autobiography, if you want to read it. <laughs> no, the church he's after is described in verse 13, a church that's built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God wants a mature church, a church where the very thing that binds the people together is their trust in Jesus, a church where the people have a great thirst to know Jesus more and understand the scriptures and love and care for one another and to see God's word shape and mold all they do. A church where every member wants to be more like Jesus, growing to be more and more like him every year. I've said it before and I'll say it again. This is why our connect groups are so important for us as a church. That's why sitting 
under the word of God each week as, as we gather, whether that be in smaller groups in houses or all together, is so important because that's what we're about. It's why maturity is one of our key foundations for us as a church. Because Jesus is in the business of growing us to be more like himself. How do we do that? Through one another. But Paul says we must remain connected to the head. By remaining connected to the head, Paul uses this picture of the body, reminding us that it's the head that makes everything work. So let me just give you some definitions of how the word head is used. Right? You could be the head of a company or the headmaster of a school, the one who's, who's leading it in that sense. You could be a heading. What's a heading? Well, it's the line of text that defines everything underneath it and sets the tone for what's to come. Heading can also be used to specify your direction. What direction is your ship heading or is your car heading or is your life heading? Headquarters, right? That's the, the central office of, 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 a, of, of a directional center of some sort of enterprise. Or you can use it in, in, in military terms. The place in which the commander performs his function of command, right? Uh, you think about it with water, right? The head spring or the headwaters. That's the source of the water from which a stream or a river arises. Or you might think about it as the physiological head, like this thing that's on my neck. <laughs> right? Our head is it's the home of our brain, the, the controller that runs every part of our, our system. It runs everything from our conscious to our unconscious, from our thoughts and feelings to every bit of our heart and every breath of air we take in is all in our head. Paul's saying the key to growing more and more like Jesus is staying connected to him as our head. He's the one from whom the sustenance comes. He's the one who guides us and sets our agenda. It's from him and that our desires and dreams should come. And we as a church, we're his body. We're each playing our part in harmony with one another, exercising the gifts he's given us, building one another up and building up the body and, and growing in the gifts he's given us, introducing new members into that body as we become more and more like Jesus. See, as we live in a world of rough seas and extremely strong winds, the only way to endure is to stay connected to the head. If we're to grow... We need the direction that the head provides. We need to listen to Jesus' word, listen to his messengers who've written his words down for us. Where have they done it? They've done it here in God's word. Come with me to Ephesians 4 verse 12, one of my favorite passages of the Bible. And we read, this is what Paul or the writer, if it was Paul, says about the word of God. For the word of God is living and effective sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Friends, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that here in God's word, God speaks. The apostles have written it down for us. We have the prophets of the Old Testament. We have God's word to us, fulfilled in Jesus. And it's through God's word and by God's spirit that he shapes and molds us into the likeness of his son. You know, the Old Testament gave us a whole heap of commands, a whole heap of things that we had to do. And it never actually changed us. But then Jesus came and showed us what that was about. And then he rose and ascended to the right hand of the Father and sent the Spirit. And now we have God's Spirit and his word. And that shapes and molds us and gives us new hearts 
to be made into the likeness of Christ. Well, I want to read to you a quote from John Piper as he recounts a time that he heard God speak. Let me read it to you. He says this. Let me tell you about a most wonderful experience I had early Monday morning, March the 19th, 2007. A little after six o'clock, God actually spoke to me. There's no doubt that it was God. I heard the words in my head just as clearly as when a memory of a conversation passes across your consciousness. The words were in English, but they had about them an absolute self-authenticating ring of truth. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God still speaks today. That morning, early, I sat down on a couch in the corner to pray. Come and see. As I I pray amused, it, it suddenly happened. God said, come and see what I have done. There was not the slightest doubt in my mind that these were the very words of God. At this very moment, at this very place in the 21st century, in 2007, God was speaking to me with absolute authority and self-evidencing reality. I paused to let it sink in. There was a sweetness about it. Time seemed to matter little. God was near. He, he had me in his sights. He had something to say to me. Then he said, as, as clearly as any words I've ever had come into my mind, I am awesome in my deeds toward the children of man. My heart leapt up, Piper says. Yes, Lord, you are awesome in your deeds. Yes, to all men, whether they see it or not. Yes. Now what will you show me? Piper says the words came again, just as clear as before, but increasingly specific. I turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There they rejoiced in me who rules by my might forever. Piper recounts that suddenly he realized God was talking to him and taking him back several thousand years to the time when he dried up the Red Sea in the Jordan River. God was narrating the mighty works of God and he was doing it for me, Piper says. He was doing it with words that were resounding in my own mind. As I marveled at the power to dry the sea and the river, God spoke again. I kept watch over the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. This was breathtaking, Piper says. It was very serious. It was almost a rebuke, at least a warning. He may as well have taken me by the collar of my shirt, lifted me off the ground with one hand and said with an incomparable mixture of fierceness and love, never, never, never exalt yourself. Never rebel against me. I sat staring at nothing. My mind was full of the global glory of God, says Piper. God was speaking to me. Think of it, he says. Marvel at this. Stand in awe of this, that the God who keeps watch over the nations, like some people keep watch over cattle or stock markets or construction sites, this God, Piper says, still speaks in the 21st century. He says he heard the very words of God. He spoke to him personally. He then talks about the effects that it had on him. It filled him with a fresh sense of God's reality. It assured him more deeply that that God's acts in history uh, were also acting in our time as well. It strengthened his faith that that he is for me and, and, and cares about us and will use his global power to watch over us. Then Piper ends with this little line. If you'd like to hear the very same words I heard on the couch in northern Minnesota, Read Psalm 66, verses 5 and 7, for that's where I heard them. See, 
It was through the Bible that Piper heard these divine words of God. And it was through the Bible that he that he has experiences like that almost every day and that I do as well. And I hope you do as well as God reaches out in his word and he speaks to us. He, he brings his actions in the past to mind and reminds us of what he's like for the future. He brings his promises to mind. He shows us his son. Friends, here is God to us. I want to encourage you, if you want to be made more like Jesus, we need to listen to his word. Be shaped by it. Be molded by it. Listen to God. Statistically speaking, engaging with the Bible four times a week will change your life. Now, it sounds a bit numbersy, but kind of people have done some research on this. And they've said that reading the Bible less than um, four times a week makes no difference to living like Jesus, statistically. It was a study that was done across um, eight years of research, 100,000 people. They reveal that there is no statistical difference between Christians who read or listen to the Bible two or three days a week and Christians who do not engage in scripture at all or maybe only once a week. In other words, you read it two or three times or one time or none makes no difference. <laughs> now, there's a temptation here to go, well, what's the point in reading it then? Well, listen to this. For those who read the Bible four times a week or more, there were some clear correlations. Listen to this. They have far more active faith, 228% more likely to share Jesus with others if we're reading the Bible more four times or more a week, 231% more likely to disciple others, 407% more likely to memorize scripture, 416% more likely to, to give financially to the kingdom work that they're involved with. Christians who read the Bible regularly more than four times a week have fewer struggles. Um, they, they, they're 62% less likely to get drunk. 59% less likely uh, to view pornography. 59% less likely to have sex outside marriage. 45% less likely to be involved in gambling. 31% less likely to be lashing out in anger. 28% less likely to gossip. 28% less likely to lie. 26% less likely to neglect their family. 20% less likely to overeat or mishandle food. 20% um, less likely to mishandle money, <laughs> right? As you read through that list, what do you hear? You hear the fruit of the Spirit. Those that are being shaped into the likeness of Jesus, being made more like him, in, full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. There's just a whole heap of benefits that we get from reading God's word. Not just, oh, if you read this, all this will happen, but we get made into the likeness of Jesus. God's plan for maturing you, his kind of gym plan for you, his, his fitness plan, his maturity plan to grow you and me up, all comes through reading his word, hearing his word. So I want to encourage you to, to make a commitment, to, to join with me and make a commitment to read God's word at least five times a week. Not as some legalistic magic genie in a bottle thing, but so we might hear God and be shaped into his likeness. And pray that God will captivate us by his son and ground us in his word and, and grow us to be more like Jesus. And there's a sense where we can hear all those stats and hear the call to read the Bible more and feel like, oh man, I'm just tired. I feel like I missed the mark. I feel like I've not been able to do it as much. And that's been me lately. I felt like I've, I've had big stints of reading lots and then stints of, of not much. Well, I want to encourage you. Maturity is not about aiming for perfection, but it's about getting a personal best. Christian maturity is all about getting the PB. See, athletes tell us that the key to becoming better is not simply to focus on being the fastest runner or the fastest swimmer in the world and then go, ah, I'm not fast enough. 
ah, too bad, I'm just going to give up. Now they say that the key is to focus on getting a personal best. Each tr time, try to, to go more, to understand more, to be better a little bit more. And so in Christian maturity, we're all about the personal best. This week, did I do better at putting Jesus first, at hearing how God wants me to live and putting him as number one in my life? Uh, was this year better for my Christian growth uh, than the year before? Maybe not. Maybe. But imagine going, Lord, please grow me next year to be more and more like Jesus. Help next year to be a better year. And, and to identify some of the areas we want to get PBs in, whether it's saying no to some certain sins that are in our life or, or being able to understand more of God's character or, or think about the way that we act in our character and the fruit of the Spirit and where we need to focus on some of those fruit and, and see them bear fruit in our lives. Maybe your last 12 months has been a shocker. Well, I want to say that's okay. Jesus has died for you and me. He's, he's washed us clean. He's, he's taken our sins and he's paid the price for them at the cross. And he's, the benefits of his perfect life has been applied to us. As God looks at you and me and, and the times that we fail, he still looks at us and smiles because he sees Jesus. The great news is the past is the past and Jesus has died for it. The great opportunity we have is to know God more in this next year. How will you make 2022 a better year than 2021? Well, the first step is to recognize where you're at with God now, with maturity and growth. Are you dangerously dry? Feeling like, ah, oh, God is a little bit distant, perhaps, just, just far away. Are you someone that you know lots about God, but you haven't spent that time to let him shape your character? You know, is God to you more like that distant uncle? You know, you catch up with him at a few parties, you have a good chat, you, you like him, but he doesn't really have much impact on your life. Or is he like a loving, caring father that is in your life, directing and guiding and training and growing you, pointing you to his son? Are you letting God's spirit shape you into the likeness of Jesus? For me, Ron Wilson was such a wonderful example of Christian maturity. And as I look at him, I aspire to be like him. When I grow up, I want to be like him. <laughs> He's that kind of guy, right? And as he aspired to be molded into the likeness of Jesus, he, he sets before me a great, great challenge. That each and every one of us are models of something. We model something to those around us, whether it be our friends, our family, our colleagues. The question is, what will we model? Will we be model boats tossed back and forward by every wind of teaching? People who flip flop on our, on our thinking rather than being grounded in the God who's died for us? Or will we be people who make every effort to know our great God, to be made more and more like his son, to work together, not, not as some kind of cruise ship where we demand spiritual buffets and eat as much as we can and think everyone else is here to serve me, but as a battleship, you know, having one another's backs, being engaged with God's mission to be made more like Jesus and see people jump onto the boat called Jesus to be rescued from darkness into the kingdom of light and to see people stand firm on that last day presented perfect in Christ. Friends, we have a great opportunity as Christians to let God shape us to be more like Jesus. That gives life that's grounded to mature, to be more like him is what we're about. It's what we're about personally. It's what we're about as a church. And it's what we're praying that God would do for you. The key to maturing is being connected to the head 
and letting him shape us. And therefore recognizing that our best years as Christians are in front of us. So won't you commit to reading God's word and to praying for yourself and others? This great prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3. Let me read it to you. Paul says, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Friends, God wants you to be made more and more like Jesus every day and to live that out. So won't you join with me and pray now that he'd do that, that we'd cooperate with him, that we will be made like him. Let's pray. Lord God, as we look at our own lives and we reflect on the way that we live and act and speak, we admit that sometimes we act like spiritual toddlers. We don't care much about you and knowing you and growing our love and knowledge of you. We're so often satisfied with just being a Christian or just where we're at. Lord, fill us with a greater picture of your son that we might be made more and more into his likeness every day. Would you help us to be a church that is connected to Christ as our head, that's building one another up to be made more like Jesus? Would you help us to sit under your word and by your spirit, apply your word to our lives that we might be people that more and more reflect Christ? Lord, ground us in your word. Help us not to be tossed backwards and forwards but to be standing firm in Jesus to the day he comes back, being made more and more like him. Lord, keep us in your word. Focus us on your son and help us to be a church and people that are excited year by year, month by month, day by day, hour by hour, to be made more like Jesus, even through the hard times. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.